Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. We're going to be in chapter 27, chapter 27 of Genesis. I want to welcome everybody that's listening online to us. Thank you for joining us. And um, you're going to turn in chapter 27, Genesis 27. We're going to start in verse 41. It's kind of a recap of the last verse that we left off. I didn't have time to unpack that. But we are in a two-part series titled, Taking the Dysfunction Out of Family. How many of you were here last Wednesday for part one? Did you enjoy it? I saw a few tears on your cheeks. I thought I was going to have to get the Kleenexes out, but God spoke, didn't he? And, and how many of you, when you came last week to part one, did you have the craziest challenging week ever in your family? <laughs> see that? See, yeah. So stop coming to church. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but that's what happens when God's word equips us right? And you know that God's speaking to us, right? It's like piercing our heart. The the words are coming alive and the Holy Spirit goes, hey, I'm talking to you. Let's move a little bit in this direction. Let's fix that. Let's, Let's do this, right? And when that happens, you can pretty much count that the next week you're going to be, it's going to be a challenge, right? So we're going to fight the devil again tonight in part two. Is that okay? Let's just fight him. Let's just go bring it on. Bring it on. I like what Randy posted on Facebook. He goes, bring it on, God. Bring it on. I love that post. I'll never forget that one. But that's what it is. So we're in part two, taking the dis, uh, dysfunction out of family. Now, last week, I gave you four ways that you and I can take dysfunction out of our families. And I also introduced you to a new acronym. In fact, I had you say it. Does anybody remember what that acronym was? T-Doof. It's up on the screen Short for taking dysfunction out of family. So if you missed last week, don't forget you can subscribe to our podcast or Spotify and Apple Play and listen to the teachings or any of the teachings here at CCS. So don't forget that. And you can go online on our web and find it as well in Genesis series. But tonight we're going to go through this passage and we're going to th- we're going to learn three more T-Doofs. Is that okay? Three more and then we'll be done with this series. And we left off in chapter 27, 41. Let's Read, you're there right now, verse 41. And, and let me just update you. Remember Esau, Isaac, and, and Rebekah. Isaac's married. They had kids. It's Esau um, and, uh, sorry, Jacob. And they had two boys. And remember, Jacob was the younger one. And it was, it was history that the oldest son would get the father's blessing, the double the portion of the father's. And so the younger son, and out of all people, the mother came up with a way for him to get the inheritance and the blessing. And so they deceived the older brother Esau. And so we saw that chaos that happened. And so you can go back and watch that or listen to it and and get caught up. And so this is where we meet. And so it was exposed. Um, He pretended he was his older older brother. Um, Isaac, the dad, gave him the blessing. And then uh, Jacob leaves the house. And then Esau comes back from the hunt that his dad sent him out. And he says, Dad, here's your stew. I'm ready for the blessing. And it was quite devastating for Esau, the older brother, wasn't it? Because Dad said, wait, you were already here. And then they found out what had happened. And he was, he was hurt. He was deeply broken. In fact, the scripture says that he cried and wept in front of his dad twice because he had lost his inheritance. And so this is where we meet. And it says, Esau, remember the older brother, held a grudge against Jacob, the younger brother, because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau said to himself, 
the days of mourning for my father are near. Now let me stop. What does that mean? It means his dad's close to death, according to Esau. He says, and then I will what? I will kill my brother. You remember the verse that I gave you at the end of last week? It was found in 1 John 2.9. You see it up on the screen. Let me read it. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. And we know that Jesus in the New Testament taught us that we are to love who? All right, everyone. Love our enemies, right? Those that sin against us. And so we know this. And Jesus, or John, 1 John makes a profound statement. He says, if you even hate your brother, you have no love in you. And if you have no love in you for one another, then how can you really be a Christian with the Spirit in you? And when I say that, don't be convicted because I toggle in and out of love, hate all the time. Or maybe better, disappointed anger versus pleased or happy, right? And so don't get this wrong. This story where Esau is at, where the condition of his heart is, is that it's, it's, it's deeply hurt. And we're going to see time in these chapters from verse 27 to 32. I'll get you out of here, I promise. You have coffee, though. We can stay a couple hours. <laughs> but, but we're going to see from verse 27 to 32, we're going to see quite a time span. And we're going to see the dysfunction of not dealing with forgiveness and hate in your heart, what it could actually do to you. And I know that I'm speaking to some people here tonight. In fact, maybe that's why you came back, because I dared you to come back if you had unforgiveness in your heart, didn't I? And I know what I'm speaking about, and I can relate to this story because my life with my youngest brother parallels so much in this. And, and, Literally, when Pastor Mark taught me this passage, I sat there and wept uncontrollably because I go, here is my life on the pages of this story. And yet I had so much hope and so much restoration and love that I knew that I knew that I knew that I had to restore my relationship with my younger brother. This Thanksgiving, as Mr. Steve and Miss Paula knows, this will be the third year in a row that we go up to the cabin in, in Tennessee and I spend the entire week of Thanksgiving with my brother and his kids and his wife, with my kids and my wife because of this story right here. So church, I want you to know tonight that if that's you and you have unforgiveness and you have hate and you are estranged with a family member that's so close to you, tonight I'm gonna say to you, God can give you hope. God can give you hope. God can change any situation. And we're going to see that in this story. This is why I love this story so much. And we see here that Esau's response to trickery and rejection from his father Isaac, he feels betrayed not only by his brother, but multiple family members. It's like every family member. Dad won't give me a blessing. Mom has tricked me, although he doesn't know it, but he'll find out his brother, his entire family has completely come against him. He was deeply hurt by his family and he wept. And the truth is, all of us face hurts. Some of us have hurts from our family, immediate family. Some of us have been hurt by close friends. Some of us might have even been hurt by 
church family. And I know that I'm talking to somebody. And some things, to be truthful, hurt us more deeply than others. And I have personally found that the people that are closest to me are the ones that hurt me most. Why? Do you relate to that? Why are we hurt by the ones that are so close to us? I'll tell you why. Because those that are close to us are the ones we love the most. They're the ones that we let our guard down with the most. And they're the ones that we have trusted the most. And so when someone close to us hurts us, it hurts. And it hurts deeply. And we become very vulnerable. And I have a demonstration that I want to share with you and those of you that work in a, in a church with me, and we do this in counseling quite a bit, and maybe you've even heard me say this, but I, I, through trial and tribulation and hurts and restoration, and I, I put my arm out like this, and I kind of put people in this category. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, and don't follow my example. But, uh, but over, the, over the years, I just ask God for wisdom, like who, who do I open myself up to, right? Because if you've been hurt, let me see, if you've been hurt, anybody been hurt? Look around you. Anybody been hurt a lot? <laughs> Look around you, yeah. And so you understand what I'm going to say here. Well, I, I put people in categories. Some people are right here. I keep them here. I love them. I love them, and I'll do life with you. I keep you here. Some people I let, you know, come here, right? I trust God with them here. And then there's some people that I put right here. You notice where that's at. It's close to the heart. Now, if you've been hurt deeply, how hard is it to let people come here? Is it everybody or is it few? Yeah. But God's going to teach us tonight that if we lean on him and we trust him, we can move some people from here to here and it's going to be okay. And, and let me say this, hurting people, are you going to get hurt again? Hurt's inevitable. But we have to lean on God. And we have to, there's a great book out called Safe People. Ever read it? It's a great book. And it helps you have balance in your relationships. It helps God's Holy Spirit give you guard to say, okay, that person I might, you know, I'm not going to get close to or be transparent with. I love you, right? And so this is what we see here. Here's a question. We see Esau's exposed heart. And he's a man of great anger. And, and perhaps rightfully so, those of you who are following this story. But the question in hand is, does harboring hate and resentment really punish the person you're upset with? But why do we get that mindset? Oh, I'll show you. And we all have different tactics, don't we? Don't elbow your neighbor or your wife or your husband, right? I'm going to ignore them. I'm not going to say a word to them. I'm not going to do anything nice to them. Some of you just fight back. You just fight. You just, you're like, no way. You're not running over me, right? And we, we cope with the hurt different ways, don't we? But at the end of the day, we have a tendency to say, I'm going to get back. We have a natural tendency. It's wired in us. It's just wired. It's, our, it's called this. It's our flesh. It's our sin self that says, I'm going to hurt you back. I'm going to make you pay for, the, for you that we believe you intentionally tried to hurt us. And so we do something to pay them back, don't we? And it comes natural. And, and God understands that in us. This is why he gives us the word. So he says, hey, knock it off. Don't do that. I know your flesh wants to do that. I know you'll feel good if you even the score with those that hurt you. But don't do that. I'm going to show you how to deal with that. And isn't that true about God's word in all of our lives? 
in every situation in our life, God's word will tell you how to handle it. Here's the question, church. Are we willing to trust God enough to do what he says to do? See, we're going to see that Esau and Jacob and the whole family, remember the dysfunctional family on Jerry Springer? They're not going to understand that following God's word from right out of the gate would save them a lot of pain. And we're going to go down a 20-year road with them. We want to punish people. But here's the problem. When we harbor unforgiveness, when we want to punish people, really we're the ones that wind up hurting more. And I found that to be true. Some of you can say amen, it's okay. Amen Amen means I agree with you, Pastor David. I've been there. The truth is, if we're honest, revenge is is a comforting thought for those who we feel have wronged us. And we almost even give ourselves excuses. We replay that offense over and over and over in our heads so that we convince ourselves that what we are doing to that person, right or wrong, is still okay. As if we can escape the guilt of doing it on purpose because after all, they deserve it, don't they? And that's the thoughts that come into our mind. But that's not what God wants for us, church. In fact, that's not how God wants us to respond when we are hurt. God doesn't want us to take revenge against those that hurt us. Why? Because Romans 12, 19, you see it up on the screen. You might want to write it down. Write it in your Bible right next to where we're at, 2741. It's okay. Write it down because you'll go to it. And I love the, the NLT translation. It says, dear friends, never take what? Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. You know God has a righteous anger. It's not a sinful anger. A righteous anger means that you're passionate about the things that are right, the things that are godly, just, merciful, right? The righteousness of God is not a bad thing. And those of you that have a prophetic gift, you operate in righteousness, and, and sometimes, you know, it's like God said it, do it, everything's okay. But look what else it says. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. Who's talking here? The Lord. I will what? I'll pay them back, says the Lord. What is God saying in this passage? He's saying, David, you obey me and I will deal with your enemies. Here's the question. Do I trust God enough to deal with my enemies or do I got to get my hands in it? What about you? Do you try to give God a hand in this area? Basically, God's saying to all of us, I got this. Stay in your lane, David. Say with me, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. How many of you swerve into God's lane and take the wheel? Come on, you're in church. Don't lie to me. (laughs) (laughs) yeah, God, I'm going to help you with this, right? And God doesn't need our help. He says, no, you do what I tell you. Vengeance is mine. We need to stay in our lane and let God be God and do what we're asked to do. So what are we to do in these types of situations that come up when we're hurt and when we have to deal with these situations? Well, we need to forgive those who trespass against us. Oh, you got that prayer down. Let's see if you know it. Our Father, who are in heaven, come on, hallowed be by name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
Give us this day. And what? As what? Time out. I'm surprised. I thought I'd lose half the room in that, that verse. No, Keith. Security? No more outbursts, Keith. That's not allowed. You know, here's the interesting thing. When we say that prayer, and I'm glad I brought it up because we say that we know it by heart. Here's the thing. We're okay with God forgiving us with our, from our sins. Amen, God. But then when God says, hold on, you also forgive. See, it's a challenge, isn't it? We want God's grace, but we're kind of slow at giving grace to anybody else that sins against us. And God says, that's not how I want you to operate, Christian brother and sister. Look what he says in Matthew 6.14 up on the screen. For if you what? Other people when they what? Sin against you, your heavenly Father will also. Some of you are getting pierced to the heart tonight with that one. That's a powerful verse. Let's back it up with Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and what? If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Is God very clear on what you're to do when you get hurt and you harbor unforgiveness? So then why don't we do it right away? <laughs> it's hard. You know what we have to do? We have to unthink the situation. We have to remove our emotions and our pain from that situation. And we have to say, God, I love you more than I don't trust this situation. God, I love you and want to obey you more than the pain that rings in my heart. Right? And that's hard to do. And God understands. God's a loving God. Remember, he created us inside and out. He formed you in your mother's womb. And he knows how we're wired. And he knows it's hard. But the key is he gives you his word and he goes just obey it just obey it and watch what i do in this situation amen esau chose to harbor his anger instead of giving his hurts over to the lord and asking him to help him forgive who his dad his mother and his brother again esau said when my father passes away i will kill my brother you know what the problem with that statement is in this story his dad isaac didn't die for another 43 years I just find, I think that's hilarious. God's like, okay, we'll just let your dad live for 43 more years. Suffer more. <laughs> Esau has no idea. But you know the truth is, that's a lot of years to harbor hate and unforgiveness. Pastor David, you don't know how bad I was hurt. You don't know my situation. No, but God does. God was with you when that situation happened God was with you when that was said when that was done and God loves us so much that he put these verses in the Bible to help us deal with our hearts look at verse 42 when Rebecca was told what her older son Esau had said she sent for her younger son Jacob you know mom's just not doing well here she said to him your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. 
Now then, my son, do what I say. Here comes some more advice. Remember, her bad advice got Jacob into this situation. And I'm thinking, if I'm Jacob, I'm like, Mom, you didn't really direct me too well. I'm in this hot mess because I listen to you. But he's faithful, and he, she says, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him for a while. Get this, until your brother's fury subsides. Get real. Do you think his fury is going to subside from this? I mean, that's intense. You stole an inheritance, right? And then she says in verse 45, when your brother is no longer angry with you and what? Forgets what you did to him. Is that realistic? No. I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? You know, what kind of counsel is that from the mom? That's a great example of dysfunctional parenting. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Esau is ever going to forget? No. Dysfunction number one, write this down. Human wisdom overrode God's wisdom. That was the dysfunction in this family. Mom thought she was right. Mom thought she could fix it. And human wisdom overrode God's wisdom. You see, mom took the place of God and tried to fix the family problems by what? By separating the family. By splitting the family up. If I put a map up there, it's like 200 miles away. It's like we've got a problem in our family, so pack your bags and get out of here. She tried to cover it up. She tried to push things under the carpet instead of being part of the solution. She caused enough problems, but Rebecca... Be part of the solution. But she sends the youngest son away. What she should have done is repented and apologized. She should, have she should have took the blame to save her son's relationship with one another. But she chose not to do that. So how do we take dysfunction out of the family? Write this down. We are to seek God's word and do what it says. God has the answers for every situation we may face in life. You see, if mom would have done that, I don't think the family would have been split up for, all, for, for as long as, as they were. And God's word says, if you do this, this is what I'll do. And where do we find in the Bible when we have an offense or something going on between a family member, a friend, a coworker, a Someone from the church. You know, Bible, God gives us instructions in the Bible. Look up on, you know this, Matthew 18. Some of you quote Matthew 18, but maybe you don't know it's in 15, but let's read it together. This is a solution when you have an offense against each other or a hurt. This is what God says to do. He says in verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, just look at your neighbor and say, you're my brother or you're my sister. He's talking to us today, tonight. He's saying, he's saying, if your brother or sister, in other words, if the person next to me sins against me, he says, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Now, here's what you don't do. You don't pull your concealed weapon out and hold it at John because he upset you and offended you. No, the Bible says in gentleness and in love. John, man, I don't know if you realize this, but you super offended me. I was hurt by it. I'm holding a grudge. I've ignored you for a year. 
I say hi to you, but I want nothing to do with you, and I'm wrong. But I want to tell you where we got to, why that happened, and I want to explain why that messed me up. Now, here's the thing. Maybe John didn't know that it upset me. In John's world, maybe that, that wasn't a big deal. But maybe it was a big deal in my world, and I'm offended by it. I never say anything to John, and so for a whole year, I ignore the guy. And John's a great guy. He makes good coffee. <laughs> and he's fun to work out with. But see, if we don't do this, church, you see how the enemy gets in? Oh, John's your enemy. Write John off. Sorry, John. I'm righteous. You, you, you upset me. See? But look what it says. Just between the two of you. You know what that says? Do it in private. It doesn't mean I go to Randy and go, Randy, you're not going to believe what John did. Right? Or Tiffany, you're not going to believe what Sarah did. No. You go to that person in private and you share with them. Give them dignity. Give them respect. You go publicly, good luck with that. That just adds gasoline in the fire. You're publicly shaming people. Why would you do that? Do we not all make mistakes? How would you like your mistakes to be up on the screen next Wednesday night? Flannel or not, you won't be here. <laughs> but this is what God's saying. He's like, do it in private. And then he says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You see how important that is? Give John a chance. Reconcile. If he's like, you're out of your mind. Prideful, not teachable. I don't care. I didn't offend you. What are you talking about? Okay. Then I go, hey, Randy. Right? Steve, can you meet me in the office? I gotta have a meeting with John, just kind of explain something and hear him out. And will you guys help us resolve this? Like, can we bring a mediator in, right? And that's what God's word's saying. He's like, bring a mediator in. Now, not just anybody, right? We don't go down, down to Earl's bar. Me and John, I go, hey, dudes, come over here. Let's share. Let me tell you what happened. They're like, kick his butt. All right, can you say that in church? I'm sorry. No. Spirit-filled men. Paul, right? Keith, spirit-filled Christian men that know what God's word is and why it's happening, right? And then you bring them alongside. You say, hey, listen, I just want to get this resolved. You matter to me. I enjoyed our relationship. This is what God's word is saying. Look at verse 46. Then Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife, remember they sent Jacob away, 200 miles away, if Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Can you say divert? She's diverting her actions. She has a valid point, because remember, Esau married Hittite women that lived in Canaan. And she's saying, okay, one son already didn't do what he was supposed to do, and we're upset about that. Now we send Jacob away, and she's like, I hope he doesn't marry a Hittite woman. Kind of divert, good point, but she's diverting her actions. And I think mom's playing victim here, right? Woe's me. My other son might wear, marry a woman that's evil. She tried to draw the attention off of what she caused in the family. Now turn quickly to chapter 28, verse 1. 28, verse 1, the next one. We're going to go fast now. Verse 1, so Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. There it is. 
Go at once to Padan, Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban. So just a quick backstory is, is that is their tribe. That's their relatives, their, their folks. They're not Hittites or Canaanites, okay? So it's like a safe family for him to find a bride. Um, your mother's brother, verse three, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants a blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. And then Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel and Aramine, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. That's a family tree. So what's happening here, basically, Isaac is reaffirming his blessing and birthright to Jacob. Now remember, there was chaos in the house. Can you imagine the argument that happened? So there's a lot of probably yelling, screaming, and upset, and you know, Esau was weeping, and Jacob's probably in the corner going, what is going on? And so, ja- uh, so Isaac's basically saying, look, I understand there's chaos, there's dysfunction going on, it's a bad time to be a part of this family, but you still get the blessing. No matter what your brother Esau has pleaded with me, you still are getting the blessing. That's basically what he's reaffirming the youngest son Jacob with. And look at verse six. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him what? Do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So guess who's feeling pretty guilty right now? Esau. He's convicted about right now. Why? Because he didn't obey his mom and dad. He married not one, but he married two Hittite women and they were worse than Canaanites. Remember, the Canaanites were ungodly, and, and the scripture says that the Hittite women were even worse. They followed false, false gods. They were involved in, in much adultery. They were not faithful, and, and it was part of these evil practices in, in the land of Canaan, and, but he married two anyways. Look at verse eight. And Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Naboth and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham. And what does it say? In addition to the wives he already had. Uh Uh-oh. You hear what that says? He already has two wives. He's like... Well, if Jacob can have mom and dad's favor and marry the right woman from the right tribe that honors Abraham, then I'm going to go do the same, and then maybe mom and dad will show favor on me, right? So you see kind of where his thinking is. But unfortunately, that's what launches dysfunction number two. Remember, I'm going to give you three. This is the second one. You see it up on the screen. Esau tried to please his earthly father, while dishonoring his heavenly father. See, Esau now has three wives and he thinks he's gonna make his earthly dad happy, but Esau would not honor God in this. You know, Genesis 2.24, from the very beginning, when God defined marriage, you see it. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his 
singular word. Wife. Not cling to your wives. Not three, Esau. But your wife, one wife. And they shall be what? One flesh. Remember we talked about God being the covenant. God being at the center of the marriage. Deuteronomy 17, 17 says he must not take what? Many wives. Why? Or his heart will be led astray. And so can you imagine the wives that are in Esau's household fighting over their singular husband? It's got to be stressful. It's got to be inappropriate, right? It, it has to create havoc. And what's interesting is, is this would have been a great time for Esau to go to his mom and dad and say, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry. I didn't do what you asked me to do. I didn't honor what Grandpa Abraham wished for all of his descendants. You can go back and read that. That was his wish, right? He could have said, Mom and Dad, forgive me. How do we move forward from the mistakes that I made? Instead, Esau did what he thought was needed to reconcile, not what God wanted. So how do we fix this? How do you take dysfunction out of family? Taking dysfunction out of family means we need to acknowledge our sins and our shortcomings slash mistakes and go a different direction towards following God. And, and that's a little bit harder than, than said, isn't it? I wish I could tell you that I do that all the time, that it, whenever I make a mistake, I just do the right thing. Unfortunately, I don't. How about you? You struggle a little bit in that? Yeah. And so we see this struggle. And it's easy to stand on the outside and look at the family situation. You know, sometimes counselors got to be careful. You sit on the outside and you look at the situation in counseling and you go, well, you should have done that. What's wrong with you? <laughs> it's not easy, right? You got to put yourself into those shoes. You got to look at the background. You got to figure out what is it is it that I don't trust God enough to follow his word and then trust him with it? Like, where is that connection? And how do we move forward of becoming, like for all of us here tonight, how do we get in the habit of just reading God's word and then doing what it says? How do we start to trust God a little bit more in every situation? What it would be like if we opened up our Bible and just started looking? All right, God, what do you want me to do here? I've made a mistake. I can't go back. I can't take, anybody make a mistake they can't take back? Yeah. Okay, so okay, so you can't change the past, but God, how do I change my future? How do I make things right? And then the Holy Spirit empowers us to move forward, doesn't he? Empowers us to do the things that we normally don't want to do in the flesh. And the Holy Spirit somehow matches things together and goes before you. And how many of you have had that happen? You're like, wow, it didn't take that much to, to do that, but the Holy Spirit went before me. And look at the restoration that has happened. Now turn to the last place I'm going to have you turn to, to chapter 32. We've got about eight more minutes here. Chapter 32. And I love the title of this because it says, Jacob prepares to meet Esau. So we see now from chapter 27 all the way to chapter 32 that, that Jacob is going to prepare to meet Esau. Look at verse 1. Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanium. Look at verse 3. After the angels met, 
Jacob. It says that Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, and he instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob, stop right there. What does it mean when he tells his older brother, your servant Jacob? It means submission, I heard it. It means submission. You know, the angels met with him, and I think that they began a heart change on Jacob. I think that after this time, you know, time, they say that time heals wounds. And we know that there's going to be some time. In fact, at this point in chapter 32, it's been about 20 years since he left his family. And there's nothing in Scripture between verse 27 and 32 that says they had a reunion. They got on a plane and went and did something together, took a vacation. They didn't get together for the holidays. No, they were estranged for 20 years. And an angel meets Jacob, and an angel starts to work on Jacob's heart after all this time. And you know, I believe that Jacob's heart was ready to receive something from the Lord after all this time. And when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother. I'm sorry, let me go back. This is what you're to say, my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, male, female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. So he sends a message to his brother. He wants favor. He wants reconciliation. And oftentimes in, in the Old Testament, people would give their wealth to show their affection or a sort of peace treaty between reconciliation between two parties. He says, I hope that I find favor in your eyes, Esau, my older brother. Look at verse 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. But who is he bringing? 400 men that are with him. Look at verse 7. The first five words, in great fear and distress, from all those years of not communicating with his family. Jacob had great fear and great distress. Can I just say to you that there are consequences to harboring unforgiveness? Can you imagine what he feels like? Oh, your brother's coming to meet you, but he's bringing 400 friends, and they look pretty rough. And, of course, Jacob thinks he's going to die, so he starts gathering all his belongings, sending you know, half of them here, half of them there, and he sends them across the creek, and he prepares for this, for this battle that he believes he's going to receive from his brother. But isn't that interesting how the enemy lies, how he's lied to Jacob all these years, and how Jacob must have felt the guilt from stealing his brother's blessing all these years? See, here's the, here's the trouble. When we harbor unforgiveness and hate, we build a story in our head. We build a narrative in our head. Like I said, I saw some of you shaking your head. We replay the, the offense over and over and over. Do you know that offense changes? It gets more severe. It's more deceiving. We build a story in our head, and we actually believe it. And that's what the enemy loves to do. Satan is a liar and a deceiver, a father of lies. 
And so I could just picture Jacob here. Here's Esau. You know the end of the story. We'll read it. Esau's not coming with 400 men to kill his brother. He's coming because we're going to find out that God was working on his heart over the last 20 years as well. Look at the next verse. Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the other group uh, will escape. Here's the last dysfunction I want you to pay attention to. Number three, we often let fear determine our final outcome in difficult situations we face. Let me say that again because I think that's very, very true in our lives. We often let fear determine our final outcome in difficult situations that we face let me ask you a question have you ever let fear determine your thoughts or your outcome i have you feel hopeless and the truth is the way we see things in our difficult circumstances never the way god sees things remember god writes the chapters of our stories He's the great author of our lives. Do you know he wrote chapter one when you were born into this world? You didn't write that chapter. God wrote chapter one. Do you know God knows the final chapter and he knows how your life is going to end? And it's not a bad thing. God is the author of your life. Let him be your author. Trust him, obey him, and let him write the chapters of your lives. You mean, Pastor David, even the chapters of difficult times? Absolutely. That's when you do let him write the chapter. Because if you and I write the chapter, it's a horror novel. Let God write the chapter of what's going to happen. Verse 9. We're going to see the most wisest thing Jacob has ever done in the last seven chapters. Look at verse 9. Then Jacob what? Jacob prayed. How about that? O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. Basically, he's saying to God, God, you told me this, but I've got 400 guys and one big brother after me. But he says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. And I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and I will make your descendants like the land of the sea, which cannot be counted. Verse 13, he spent the night there. What does it say in your Bible right before verse 24? Jacob wrestles with God. Anybody have that in your Bible? Jacob wrestles with God. You see, it says in verse 24, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. You know what that tells me? Jacob wrestled with God. I don't know if it was a spirit, an angel, but Jacob wrestled with God all night. And he wrestled with him. And this verse says that it was all night. You see, God's God. God could win that that wrestling match, couldn't he? If he wanted to. Why do you think God let Jacob wrestle with him all night long? Anybody? Relationship. He loved him. What's my point? God knew that Jacob had to be broken of this unforgiveness. 
And God let Jacob wrestle with him. Church, do you ever wrestle with God over something in your life? Let me rephrase it. Does God ever wrestle with you? With things in your life? And if we're honest, we're no different than Jacob. What are we fighting with God about tonight? What is in your life that God's fighting you about? You know that it shouldn't be there and God's been speaking to you, but you wrestle with God. What is it that you're simply willing to hold on to? What is that one thing in our lives that we just won't surrender and submit to the Lord? Is it destructive for you? Is it dysfunctional for you? If it is, then it has no place in our lives to hold on to, and God knows this, but we hold on to it, don't we, sometimes? And we'd rather wrestle with God over and over and over, and how do we wrestle with God? You show up at church on Sunday, you get convicted, you go home and do the same thing. Been there? Until finally God just says, okay, I'm going to have to do something very, very different to get your attention. And when God gets your attention, it's a wrestling match, isn't it? It really is a wrestling match. Do you know when people, and I'm not saying God punishes you through illness. Please don't understand that. But do you know what I pray with people when they call and go, hey, I have to have this surgery. My knee needs replaced. My shoulder needs replaced or whatever the surgery is. And, and it winds up that you're in the hospital maybe for a couple days and you're recovering and something happens, right? Do, do you know what I say to people that find, because nobody likes that. Is there anybody here that likes to go to the hospital unless you work there, right? But you know what I say to them? I say this all the time. I go, you know, I don't understand why God's letting you go through this. But here's the one thing I do know. God has your attention. God wants to speak to you. God wants to spend time with you intimately. And God wants to let you know that he's with you every step of the way. And sometimes we get too busy. And now God has you in a place. We're going to trust him. He's going to go before you. He's going to heal you medically or supernaturally. But during this time, do me one favor. Let God spend intimate time with you. It may have been a while. It may have been a couple of years. God wants to spend time with you and reveal himself. And that's what I pray with him. And this is what I see happening. Jacob's been wrestling for 20 years and God goes, not this time. And he wrestles all night. And God says, Jacob, hand it over. It's been 20 years in this estranged relationship with your brother. You spent 20 years of running and avoiding your family. And I believe Jacob was tired of running. And by dawn, by morning, he was tired of wrestling God. Church, are you tired of running? Are you tired of wrestling with God? I ran from my own brother and my family for 20 years for many, many years. And here's what God's saying to Jacob, and here's what God had to say to me. Jacob, drop your pride, pride, repent, humble yourself to your brother, and ask for forgiveness. And I will restore this relationship that matters most to you. Look at verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, remember, it's God, <laughs> he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, 
so that his hip was wretched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's a very interesting statement. See, he had the blessing of his earthly father. He had everything that the world had to offer him through the blessing of his father. And what did he say? I, I just want God's blessing. I, God, I want your blessing. I'm not going to let you go until you give me your blessing because your blessing far out supersedes any earthly blessing that my inheritance or the world could offer me. He had all that. And he lost everything that counted and everything that mattered to him. And he says, God, I want your blessing. I want your heavenly blessing. You know what comes with that church? Peace. When you have the blessing of God on your life, you have incredible peace. Jacob wanted peace for the first time in a long time. In verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. Remember, what does Jacob mean? Wasn't a, it wasn't a complimental name. Heel catcher, um, swindler, deceiver, right? And he says, your name will no longer be this, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? And then he blessed him there, verse 30. So Jacob called the place of Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God, how? Face to face. And yet my life was spared. You see, here's the important thing that I want you to take away from this. God knew who Jacob was. God knew why Jacob was running. God finally caught up with Jacob. And God was not after Jacob's identification. He was after Jacob's confession. He was seeking Jacob's confession. Repentance. So how do we take the dysfunction out of this family in this situation? Only a true confession of repentance and humility sets us free. And it sets us on right standing with God and it also, church, restores relationships. Quickly turn to chapter 33. Verse 1. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. And he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother Verse 4 is my favorite verse in this entire story. Look what it says, church. But Esau did what? He ran to meet Jacob, and what did he do? He embraced him, and he threw his arms around the neck, and he did what? And what did they do next? He wept. You see, God was not only wrestling with Jacob, but God was wrestling with Esau. Well, I don't know what your situation is tonight, church. I hope God's been speaking to you. I hope the Holy Spirit has been showing you a better way in your relationships that may have been estranged. Some of you are hurting tonight. And you're hurting because you've done things your way. And we see from this story that God wants to be smack dab in the center of your hurt. He wants to restore you. He wants to take that unforgiveness and turn it into joy and dancing. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads tonight. I'm not going to do anything weird. I'm not going to embarrass you. 
because I realize that maybe this teaching has made you very vulnerable. And I realize that maybe this story has touched your heart more than you, than you want people to know. And that's between you and God. I won't ask you to raise your hand. I won't even ask you to stand up. But if that's you tonight, and you're hurting, and you've been wrestling with God and running from your situation far too long, and the Holy Spirit said, you need, you need to turn this over. And tonight's the night. If that's you, and you know that the Lord has touched your heart, and you want to just say to God, God, I'm handing this over to you. Maybe some of you are like, God, I'm going to hand this over to you again. But tonight I would ask that you never pick it back up when you give it to God. And if that's you, I'm just going to pray a prayer with you. And if you really mean it and you really want God to do a mighty work in a relationship and you don't want to walk in your hurts anymore, then you just pray this prayer to the Lord. Father God, Lord, I thank you for your word. God, you know my situation. You know my hurts. You know my offenses. You know my pain. God, I hand all of it over to you. I give it to you, Lord. And I do it as an act of faith because I'm tired of running. I'm tired of wrestling. And God, I need you to work in a mighty way in this situation. Lord, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to ask you, Holy Spirit, to guide my thoughts, my words, my actions. And I confess to you, Lord, tonight that I need to drop my pride. Remove the pride from me that is limiting me from having that relationship that I so desire. And if you prayed that prayer tonight, I will tell you that if you allow God to move in a mighty way, He will do that for you. That's who God is. And it's in Jesus' name everyone said. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of Intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., and Wednesdays at 630 p.m.